the book of Ephesians, in case you haven't read it before or it's been a while, um, it's letters from the missionary Paul to churches in and around Ephesus. Um, and they kind of look at some really foundational ideas of what church is, what's the point of it all, and what does it mean to be a Christian, to be someone choosing to follow Jesus. The first three chapters that we've looked at over the past three weeks, they kind of look at the big picture, if you like, the mystery of God, who he is, who it is that we worship, who it is that we follow when we say we follow God, um, the significance of Jesus' life on earth and all that has um, to say about the worth God puts on our lives and how he really loves us. And it's this big, grand sort of tapestry of, you know, all time, this big story of God. And chapter four, if you like, is a bit of a turning point. Paul changes focus here. He zooms in and he looks at the reality. He looks at our lives in light of the chapters of one to three. What does it mean? How does it play out if this is true? He gets specific. If you carry on reading beyond the bit that we're looking at today, he covers all sorts of topics from sex, work, parenting and marriage, truth, lies, kindness, money. Some people think that this is Paul not really at his best, that he just starts to get a bit overbearing. He's a bit of a killjoy, but the moral police coming to check that you're on your best behavior. Um, because let's face it, we'd all rather read about how God loves us, how he puts loads of worth on our lives and thinks that we're worth sending his son to die for. And we'd all rather read that side of things. But Paul's flipping the page and he's zooming in on the nitty gritty, sometimes the mundane, definitely the difficult. And it's important that we don't just skim over this bit, that we don't gloss over it um, as, oh, this is where he goes off on a rant and there's this big to-do list of ways we should behave. But Paul is saying this, and it's significant, and we need to zoom in, lean in, pay close attention together um, at what it is he's trying to get across here. One thing I can promise you today is that these 16 verses will, um, I won't do them justice in the next 15 to 20 minutes. I won't be able to draw everything out of them that I possibly could, and um, that's because you've got a part to play as well. And I really encourage you, go away, reread this again and again and again and again. I've read it so many times, and there'll still be stuff I've missed. Because it's quite meaty, go away, discuss it with your friends, read it on your own. Um, but let this time that we have together now stir up some thoughts. Let it start your cogs whirring. Let it bring in some new perspectives that maybe you wouldn't consider on your own. Um, and let's begin to unpack it together. So it's a big section. Some of you may have already forgotten how it started. So let's go back to the beginning. Paul opens with a pretty meaty statement. I'm going to keep using the word meaty. <laughs> it's just how I can best describe this passage. It's just meaty. And um, he starts with this bold statement. There you go. More vocabulary. He says, lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Different versions will put it differently. Basically, it's saying the same thing there, right? He tells us to live a life worthy of our calling. We have been called by God. What is our calling? All of us have the same calling, and it is to love God, it is to follow Jesus, it's to have a relationship with Jesus, and ultimately learn to become more like him. To live lives motivated by gratitude for what Jesus has already done, not to live lives striving to try and earn reward or recognition. I say we've all got the same calling, but... You already know it looks different, right? It looks different in people's lives. And that's because 
God may call us to live this way in different contexts. He might call us to live this way in a particular job. He might call us to live like Jesus in a particular place, particular part of the world. Or he may call us to particular groups. Maybe it's your family that he's saying, you need to be Jesus to these people now. Maybe it's um, a group in society where he's like, you need to show them what it's like to follow me in this world today. But ultimately, this purpose, this motivation, this calling is upon all of our lives. So living lives worthy of our calling, given to us by God. But you see, Paul isn't just on about behavior change here. He isn't just on about the living out of it. He doesn't expect behavior change without identity change. This is why we're already three chapters in before he's getting down to the nitty-gritty of how we live He's talking about why we live way before this. He's talking about the worth we already have on our lives. He's talking about the God that we do it all for. So he doesn't just want behavior change. He's also on about identity change here. And when we accept Jesus into our lives, when the Holy Spirit comes to live in our lives, we're called to something different. Um, Paul uses the language of new humans. We're called to be new humans. Um, And because our identity has changed, our behavior begins to change too. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is, only, there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Bear with each other. Tolerate each other with selfless love, some of the translations put it. And he's talking about this bond of peace. So he's quite specific, straight after he's spoken about this calling, that it's not a solo journey, that it's not just about us. It's about family. It's about the church. That's the reason he's calling us to something. He's calling us to it together. And peace, it can sound idyllic, but it takes grit. Every effort, pursuing peace, binding yourself together with peace. This bond of peace. Now, as I said earlier, just name-dropped it, didn't I? I got married. Um, And before we got married, we did uh, the marriage prep course uh, with Dan and Susie Finn, who you heard about earlier, leading up uh, the 345 in Burnham. And uh, we were praying with them one evening when we were around theirs. And I'd never really spotted this verse before about um, unity in the spirit, pursuing this bond of peace, binding together in peace. And, And it jumped out at them and they sort of prayed it over us and that we would learn more about what that meant through being married. And funnily enough, we have <laughs> this idea of it's taking grit and it's pursuing it. And sometimes that's putting others' needs before your own. And sometimes it's not glamorous. And you're pursuing unity for the sake of the other, and for the sake of something greater than yourselves. And it's not for comparison or victory or competition, but it's for peace's sake. It's for harmony and unity and, and this sort of image. And Paul's using this image in this passage to talk about the church, church as family, bonded together in peace. That's what keeps us together, the pursuit that we're all on, not for selfish gain or fame, 
but of unity and tolerance, working together for each other's sake. That's part of the calling we all have. It's all coming together in the church, in this family. Let's carry on, verses 7 to 13. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. This is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, there is a lot there. For starters, if you're anything like me, the first time you read that ascending and descending bit, it sounds a bit like a riddle. It gets a bit confusing. But ultimately, it's Jesus. <laughs> Not to oversimplify. Um, to help just clarify a bit, uh, the message puts it quite helpfully. The message is a paraphrase of the Bible um, using slightly more modern language, um, and sometimes it's quite useful. So the message says, it is, not is it not true that the one who climbed up also climbed down, down to the valley of earth? And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up. That's when Jesus was resurrected and went back up to heaven, up to highest heaven. He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts. Jesus on earth, resurrected, then out of the undeserved favor God shows us, gave us gifts. Why? To nurture them and in order to build up the church. Gifts to equip us for this calling on our lives. Gifts for us to build up the church together. Gifts to help us in pursuing this bond of peace, this unity. Gifts of equal significance, but in variety. Why? So that the church is well-rounded, so that we're robust, so that we all work together complementary. Now, it's slightly odd language, prophet and apostle. You may not have used that this week, but um, we'll look at a, quickly at another version of the Bible, the Amplified Bible. Um, it'll just help expand on what those words are meaning. So it says, and his gifts to the church were varied, he himself appointed some as apostles, special messengers, representatives, some as prophets who speak a new message from God to the people, some as evangelists who spread the good news of salvation, that's what Jesus has done for us, how we're saved and forgiven when we accept him into our lives, and some as pastors and teachers to shepherd and guide and instruct the church. So the point is unity. The point is showing each other more of Jesus, working together to build up the family. And as we learn more and more and become spiritually mature, growing up to be how God has designed us to be, learning to be more like Jesus, we will ultimately measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ, which is a goal, right? <laughs> Big one at that. 
And it's something that will transform the way we act with one another. It's something that will transform what goes on in this room and the whole world out there. It's putting our faith into action. It's putting what we understand into action, bringing it into reality. And there's something I think Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, but also to us as G2. And it's about practicing what you think. It's about practicing what you believe. It's about trying it out. And um, I was reminded of when I started third year at uni. I studied here in York. And um, I was done with education by this point, right? I mean, I hadn't taken a gap year. So since the age of four, my life had been dictated to by terms. And I was assessed and graded some way or another by the end of every year. You know the drill. But I was like, I was done with it by that point. I wanted to get a job. I wanted to go out into the real world, whatever that is, still a mystery to me. But I wanted to do something, right? Felt like I wasn't doing anything because I'd been learning in the hope of graduating, but it's like I still wasn't quite there yet. But then I was convicted because I never felt like that with my faith, right? For years, my faith was reading my Bible, praying to God, personal relationship, went to church, learned some more there. But I was, ne- I was never like that with my faith. I was never convicted of like, oh, I'm done with learning now. I want to do. Not that you stop learning when you graduate, but you know what I mean. Like, I never had that urge of, oh, I want to do something with this now. I want it to make a real impact. I want to go out into the real world. I never had that. I was quite happy with accumulating knowledge, with correcting my beliefs. But our gifts that God gives us, the faith that we have, it's not to make us feel good. It's not to just give us knowledge or correct our beliefs. They impact our everyday. They impact how we act in here and out there. Paul is swinging from this big story to the impact it has in each and every single life in this room, every single day. He's like, this is a huge message, right? And it's for today, and it's for now, and it's for your life. It's for this whole family of people figuring it out, and it changes things. Otherwise, what's the point? Now, change, changes, they're incremental, they're bit by bit, and we learn by doing and maybe failing. And if you're not sure who Jesus is or in the journey of things, you consider yourself to be near the beginning, then be reassured there's no hierarchy here of mature and immature. There's no judgment here. There's no striving or tough work in wholly your own strength that will get you to the standard of Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the strength and power of God within you can transform your life to look like him. Building a relationship with Jesus takes effort, but even our hardest efforts, they can't transform our entire lives. His power is what we need, not our own. So don't hear judgment here, but do hear challenge. Do hear Paul pointing out the standard God says our lives are worthy of. The bar God sets for us because he has made us for amazing things. Paul isn't trying to guilt trip us. He's trying to open our eyes, maybe not for the first time, maybe for the millionth time, but to the purpose of it all, to check ourselves. If this knowledge I have about Jesus isn't changing my life. What's the point? If I believe the story of Jesus, but I don't live out any of it in reality, why do I believe it? 
Do I believe it? Paul tells us we all have been given gifts. Why? To use to build up the family, the body. He calls it the body of Christ. He's urging us to use them. He's urging us to see the worth placed on our lives, to see the part God has carved out for each of us, to get our hands dirty, muck in, build up one another, and not be spectators. You might be a fresher, you might be new to G2. G2 may not be the place you find your family yet, might not be the group you associate yourself with yet, but um, whichever church you end up at, isn't it easy to observe from the seats? I've definitely found it easy to go away after a Sunday and be like, well, my church isn't very good at X, Y, and Z, name your topic of the week. Or, oh, I wasn't great today, they definitely need more people to sort that out. We all have a part to play. And our role is to build up one another. Our role is not to observe and critique. Your role does not require you to blame or resent. It does not require you to stand idle or ignore need. We all have something to bring. Now, the last thing I want you to hear today is, what rotor are you on? How many coffees have you served this Sunday or ever? How many G2 meetings have you been to this week? Because this is so much more than behavior. It's not a make sure you've completed your required hours of work for G2 this month. It's about perspective and it's about identity. And without that, it's just shallow. It goes back to that calling on our lives, that motivation, gratitude, not recognition. Do you see church as a family? Do you see that every body part has a role to play and that if one part of the body is suffering, the body is equipped to support it? See, if we were a business, you'd have a bit of a career path in your head. You'd know what promotion you were after and you'd know your personal progression and where you wanted to end up and where you wanted to see yourself in five years' time. But if we're a family, we're called to muck in and collaborate. Think of like a Sunday dinner, right? You gather around it. You don't sit there going, oh, they've given me the potatoes to peel again. One day, one day I'll be the turkey carver. <laughs> Sorry, vegans. <laughs> the nut roast carver. <laughs> but like, you don't do that, right? Maybe some of you do. Because it's family. And it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire businesswoman or if you're on zero-hour shifts and, you know, you're on universal credit at the minute you have an equal seat around the table. You can all carve the turkey. <laughs> and you can all peel the potatoes and it's all equally important because who wants to roast dinner without potatoes? And it's all about building each other up. I learned something about the body this week because I was slightly too enthusiastic. <laughs> what? The, hold on, hold on. Because I went to the gym last Sunday, and I did my shoulder in. Now, cue the sympathy. Thank you. Be, be apo apologize to me later. Anyway. And I hurt my shoulder. <laughs> and I realized throughout the week how hurting my right shoulder makes me operate differently. 
So I go to pick up something and I'll lean a bit differently. I mean, my left shoulder is now aching a little bit because it's been compensating. But I haven't had to consciously do that. I haven't had to consciously go, oh, I want to pick up this pan. Oh, I must lean this way. My body just does it. That's how it's designed. When one part is suffering, the rest kicks in and it supports it. It adapts, it supports, it sacrifices. And that's how the church is designed to work. Together. For the collective health of the church. If my body ignored that this shoulder was playing up, then there'd be many things dropped. And it would be worse, and it wouldn't be healing at all. But it paid attention, and it adapted, and the whole body will feel better because of it. So if all you can bring to G2, to whatever your church family is, is encouragement. Bring it. If all you can bring is a conversation with a newcomer who hasn't arrived with anyone, bring it. If all you can spare is 15 minutes in your week, just 1% of one of your days, to pray for G2, bring it. God is not concerned with ticking off a job or shallow behavior. He created us as a group of people who demonstrate godly love and family to a world that often forgets what that even looks like. The last few verses of today's passage are something of a warning from Paul. A warning of the dangers of not growing up, of not being spiritually mature or spiritually mature ring. He tells us to recognize the calling And he's pointing out the responsibility on our lives to live a certain way, to muck in. And again, we'll use the message paraphrase because it puts it really simply. No prolonged infancies among you, please. Will not tolerate babes in the wood. Small children who are easy marks for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love. Like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. To know the whole truth and tell it in love. The truth is, we are all sinners. We all need the grace of God and the forgiveness offered to us through Jesus. Paul is telling us to get the big picture and call each other towards the life God has intended us for. Not out of arrogance or self-righteousness or cruelty or some moral high ground, but because we have a unity, we have a community to build up. We love one another and so we don't want any part to suffer, fall astray or get lost. It's like when you see a marathon, I don't know if any of you were here last year for the Yorkshire Marathon. It's coming up soon, isn't it? October. Thanks, Holly. Local knowledge. <laughs> but if you were to stand on the edge of that marathon and cheer on people, you wouldn't just stand there going, oh, it's wonderful. Your pink leggings look great on you. It's brilliant. You're doing a lovely job. You would shout, right? You would stir them on, urge them on. You would call out and you would shout to them because you know what they're heading for. You know what the goal is. You know it takes effort and they need to stay focused. You would be firm, but you would say it in love because you know what's ahead. 
And that's what we're designed to do, to champion each other, to get out there, walk, better yet, run on the road that God has called us to travel down. Whether that's to teach the Bible or to share the good news of Jesus to those who don't yet know it, or to listen to God and share what he wants to say to today's generation, or to encourage the church to trailblaze and discover new ways to understand God's teaching, or new ways to appreciate the story of Jesus. We're called to champion each other, cheering on the church to be the best it can be, to point out areas of need and those that need taken care of, but all to build up the body of Christ. That is the church, and for us, that is G2. See, God loves us unconditionally. He designed us to work together. Each one of us is valuable, but we're not designed to do this alone. And for that reason, he's given us all something to bring. 